Hey, as a duct tape marketing listener, we know you're always on the lookout for ways to more efficiently scale your business. That's why I'm so excited to chat about I Digress, another show on the HubSpot Podcast Network. Troy Sandridge, host of I Digress, talks all about how you can eliminate complexity, complications, and confusion from your business equation and create clarity to streamline strategy solutions that achieve scalable and sustainable success. Check out episode 24. Start there. 14 minutes or so. Strategy is power. You know I love that idea. So listen, learn, and grow with I Digress on the HubSpot Podcast Network at HubSpot.com slash podcast network. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and I've got two guests today. Uh, we are going to be graced by Andrew Davis, who's a best-selling author and keynote speaker. He's also worked with the Muppets. Those of you that listen to my show know that Oscar the Grouch is my favorite. I'm also joined by Michael Port, his co-author of a book called The Referral referable speaker your guide to building a sustainable speaking career michael's been on here before many of his work from book your solid and of course he and amy have a fabulous business called heroic public speaking as well so together andrew and michael wrote the referable speaker and that's what we're going to talk about today so welcome guys thank you hey, hey. yeah thanks for having us as you may recall back in 2012 or so i wrote a book called the referral engine and so obviously this topic is near and dear to my heart. And I spent the first half of that book telling people the way to get more referrals is to be more referable. And I got a, lo I, I got a handful of negative reviews that said, this book isn't even about referrals. And I certainly am guessing that there are some folks out there thinking, the referable speaker, this is going to give me all kinds of hacks on how to get more business speaking but by by email and social media tactics and whatnot and essentially what you the book i can sum the book up is be a better speaker have a better speech be more referable that's really it isn't it that i can't say it any better than that yeah like <laughs> the, at the end of the day like a referable speaker is a referable speaker because they deliver an experience that's referable and that's yeah. no different in business yeah, I, I actually just had someone email us and say, I'm not a speaker. I'm, I don't have any ambition to be a speaker, but I read the book as a parable for building a business that's referable. Yeah, yeah. It applies in many ways. You're absolutely right. And, and I think that it's really, in a lot of ways, I've been a speaker of sorts for a long time, but it's really a master class, I think, in in really the way that you you build something that's memorable. And so I, so I think I love it. I mean, in fact, I'm just going to throw out and let you explain one of the first ideas in the book. The speech is the cake. Yeah, sure. So look, we, when we set out to write this book, we had one question that we wanted to answer. And that question is, what's the formula for building a sustainable career as a speaker? Mm. And the two operative words are formula and sustainable. And the problem that we had, the thing that frustrated us, was that most of the advice given to speakers, and it's not dissimilar from a lot of the advice that's given to service professionals when they start, is you just need to market yourself, write that book, or run some ads on YouTube, or build a social media profile, that'll do it. Then you'll get lots of speaking opportunities. But if you have been in the industry for any period of time, you 
at some point realize that you don't actually get speaking gigs, you earn them. Right. And so there's two ways you generally can earn the stage. Number one, you can be ridiculously famous for doing something else. So they want to put you on the stage so you can put butts in seats. But most of us are not going to be ridiculously famous for something else. Most of us want to build a long-term career as a professional speaker. So if you don't have fame, what is the number one thing that is going to get you more gigs? That's the speech. Yeah. So the next question is, what makes a speech referable? And that's what we answered in the book. One of the things that um, I found interesting, that I and you cite countless examples of people that thought that was counterintuitive as well, and that this idea that it's one repeatable speech, that, that because you're going to go see the HVAC contractors of America this week, and then you're going to go you know, out to concrete uh, world in Las Vegas and talk to a different audience, that you've got to tailor it. And you guys uh, just basically say in no uncertain terms that, no, you got to have one killer speech. It doesn't matter who you're talking to. Yeah, that's definitely true. Re look, reliability, whether you're a service provider or a, provide a, a product or you're a speaker, is like the number one thing you've got to deliver. It has to be a reliable experience. And event producers and event managers and the executives at companies that are bringing you in to speak, they want to know that you're going to deliver a reliable session. And if you over-customize, which is, is something that people tend to want to do, right? You want to be relevant to the HVAC people, right? John, you've done it. <laughs> We've all done it. Where you're like, I've never spoken to HVAC people before. You spend three days researching HVACs, and then you're speaking at content, con Concrete World next week, and you learn about trussing and the services, they, so you can use some buzzwords. And then next thing you know, you've customized the whole speech, and it's not the speech they bought, because they saw you yeah. delivering an amazing experience once. They want that again so we talk about in the book ways that you can still customize the experience yeah. without ruining the experience that they've purchased and, and making sure that you still deliver a reliable experience and what's funny is over the years i've had many people that hired me to speak want me tell me they wanted me to customize it and like i've had businesses that work that i've worked with marketed done, done consulting with that have said have you worked with any law firms before and i think it's the realization is is they're going to get a better product because i haven't or because i'm going Going to do the repeatable thing that I know works rather than listen to them tell me what they think is going to work. Yeah. And I think well, that's the hard part for a lot of speakers. Yeah, John, we, in the book, we call this the paradox of customization. Often inexperienced meeting planners will often ask a speaker to customize. And very often, somebody from an organization is given the role of meeting planner. They may not be a professional meeting planner, but they are planning the meeting. And as a result, sure they don't have a lot of experience. So they say, listen, this has got to be really custom for us, something really specific for us. And then the speaker thinks, ah, oh, yes, it's a selling proposition if I can say it's going to be customized. I'm going to make this yeah. just for you. I'm going to do this for you in a way I've never done it for anybody before. But an experienced meeting planner at the higher end of the circuit will say, ah, if the speech at, in its present form doesn't work for our audience then they don't know our audience, and I should hire somebody that has already produced something that will work for our audience. Yeah, yeah. And number two, the experience meeting planner knows that if you are creating something new just for them, it means it's new material that is not yet tested, and they can't rely on it. Yeah. And that's the paradox of customization, and it does take a little courage to move away from it, but when you have a speech that is designed for a particular audience, there will be more work than you could possibly handle because you've already front-loaded the work. And then yeah. when you deliver the speech, it's actually quite easy. 
would you, I'm going to say you are suggesting this, but I should stop putting words in your mouth. But is this really the measure that like, I have got a speech now that makes me, if I'm not getting referred, then I got to keep working on my speech. That's almost the metric, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I measure every speech and the delivery of it in the number of speech stage side leads I get. I don't, it's nice that people send me the evaluations. It's nice that I get to see what the audience thinks. It's nice that there's a line of people that want to speak to me after the, I get off stage. But if I don't get stage side leads, I know it wasn't good to sustain my business. So for example, I, I just spoke for the first time in person in Hilton Head, South Carolina on Friday. And I, I, I felt a little rusty, I'll be honest with just you guys. And I had rehearsed a lot, but it's been a long time since I've been in front of an audience on stage. And I only got two stage side leads. And my goal for every gig is four stage side leads. And it was just a reaffirmation of the fact that I have some work to do to get back to the caliber of speaking that I was doing before the pandemic. And I still feel like I delivered a great experience for the audience, but I know I can do better. The the metric that we suggest you use, John, is how many stage side leads did I get? Yeah. Because generally we evaluate our performance based on our perception of the audience's approval. Amen. Yeah. But that is a a very um, insecure way of evaluating yourself. And really, if you're building a career as a speaker and you want more opportunities to speak, the number one way to do it is through stage side leads. Now, a stage side lead can happen at stage side, meaning right up, you you do your speech, somebody runs up to you afterwards and says, that was amazing. Are you available March 23rd? We've got a gig in Provo, Utah. Are you available? What's your fee? And they get really excited. And you say, you know, sure, I'm happy to talk about this. And next thing you know, you're booked for that gig because stateside leads book faster. They close they, with fewer objections and at higher fees than any other kind of lead that you will earn. Now, they may come a week later, an assistant calls you up afterwards, says, listen, my boss saw you, thought you were fantastic. It may be in the middle of the speech, somebody goes to your website and fills out a form because they're so excited. But the key is that they saw you speak elsewhere. Look, one of the studies that that we introduced in the book was a study that was done by a a speaker's bureau along with Jay Baer, and they found that the top three ways that, that meeting planners chose their speakers was through referrals, three different types of referrals, but they all came through referrals. So when, a, when you're a speaker and you ask, how do I get a bureau to represent me, deliver a speech that produces stateside leads, and then the bureau will want you because until you don't need them, they don't want you. <laughs> yeah, so true. Are you making the case that this is for somebody that is like, a keynote speaker wanting to go to the next level, or is this somebody that's just starting out? It's, hey, this is this needs to be your path as well. Who do you think can use this book, or who do you think you wrote this book mostly for? Uh, I'll take it first. We wrote this the book for every kind of professional speaker. Anyone who wants to get paid or generate leads by speaking, we had in mind. And I think we've done a really good job in the book of helping aspiring speakers, people who've just started out. We know that speakers who are professional speakers and have been doing it for 20 years have really gotten a lot out of the book. I think the one question we don't answer in the book that the people just starting out need answer answering is how do you get those first? And so it's that isn't in the book. And we'll just tease you. There's, a, there's an answer. But yeah. Well, we could tell them if John wants to know. We could. I would love to know. Okay, there's here are the three simple ways <laughs> that we think you can get a good speech and get those first gigs. The first one is you've got to find three paid speakers, speakers that are already generating gigs. 
and ask them whenever they get a referral or an mm. inquiry for a low paying or no paying gig yeah. that you just ask if you might be considered and build a rapport so that they can refer you those free and, and low fee gigs. The second one is ask three executives in your network if you can just deliver a lunch and learn three months from now for their, their team. And you can do that forever, by the way. And the third one is just ask three organizations you're a member of or maybe you're connected to or you've attended a meeting of if you can deliver a webinar or a virtual session or a networking session or whatever, just three months, get your calendar booked with those first gigs. And it gives you an opportunity to wait for that first stage side lead because you're not going to get it the first time out. You won't get it the second time out. But the fifth time out, when you get that first stage side lead and you're constantly improving your speech, you've hit it. And now you've got that next gig that you can start generating more leads from. And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. HubSpot's CRM platform is easy to adopt, and there are really two reasons, two features that make this possible, the contact timeline and the mobile app and mobile keyboard. HubSpot's contact timeline gives you the historical context you need to get the work done and connect with customers because all of your customer data is in one place. It can serve as a single source of truth. In HubSpot, you can take an action right from the contact timeline. Make a call, enroll a contact in a sequence, schedule a meeting, you've got it. And if you're on the go, you just use the mobile app to make it all happen and keep everything up to date. You don't have to spend a lot of time training your team. You can be sure that all the contact information is going into one system, making your team more efficient. Look, better adoption with a CRM leads to better data richer insights, and a bigger impact on your customer experience. Learn more about how you can scale your company without scaling complexity at HubSpot.com. One of the challenges people just getting started, I think, find is that they maybe get asked to do breakouts or they get asked to do a very specific like workshop related to a topic. And, and other people in the audience are like, I'm not here to be entertained or inspired. I want you to teach me how to get more Google reviews or something very specific. I mean, so how do you, how do you, because I'm, I'm guessing a lot of what you guys talk about is you want to get on that main stage. And so when do you get to make or how do you get to make that transition to where, yeah, they're there to be entertained or inspired? Sure. Uh, Andrew, you want, you want to take it? Or you want- I'll just tell you what my experience is still to this day. I still take a lot of breakout sessions in fractals or industries yeah, where... Yeah. I'm not known, but here's the key. I'm purchased by the, but, or booked by the event organizer as a breakout session with a practical idea in mind, but I always deliver a keynote experience in okay. the breakout room. My goal is that in the breakout room, even if there's only 12 people there, I've done that, right? Where I'm in a room with only 12 people and the 40 seats are empty. My goal is that those people come up to me afterwards and go, this paid for the entire event. I can't believe no one was in here. And that they just talk about it for everyone. They say, you should be the keynote next year. That's my goal. So that's my... Yeah. No, and I think that's just a bias. A lot of people probably end up going in thinking, oh, no, I'm supposed to give them details and Mm -hmm. 47 bullet points because that's what they're here for. But you're right. Generally, a breakout uh, session uh, delivers a how-to type session. Right. And a keynote session delivers a how-to-think type session, how to see the world differently. And one of the stories that we, and case studies that we introduce in the book is somebody that you may know, Jay Akunzo, uh, mm-hmm. a marketer also. Mm-hmm. And you may be familiar with content marketing world and, they, and how they give a paid keynote spot to the highest rated breakout speaker of the previous year. 
So Jay wanted this keynote spot, and he wanted to use the breakout session to earn that keynote spot. So he went in there and he delivered a speech, and he did really well. People were praising him throughout the event. The feedback forms were excellent. His, his rank was very high. I think it was a 4.82 out of 5. It was quite high. And the feedback were, were things like great tips. I learned so many hacks. This was really helpful. Thank you so much. He did not get the call to be the keynote speaker. He was disappointed, but Jay doesn't give up that easily. So he went back the next year and he said, this year I'm going to do a keynote type session, a how to think type session, rather than a how to type session. And I'm going to get that keynote spot. So this time he got almost the same. It was a statistical variation on the score itself, but the feedback forms read differently. This time the feedback form said things like best best breakout ever. That should have been the keynote. That totally changed the way I see the world around marketing. Totally blew my mind. I will never be the same. That is keynote type feedback. So guess what? This time he got the call. He did the keynote and Andrew, how many stateside leads did he get? Or how many did he book out of that? I think it was 12? It's 12. Yeah. Yeah. He booked 12 keynotes like within 72 hours of delivering that speech. So it just goes to show you that the type of speech you deliver will influence where you're put. And another uh, thing that we introduce in the book is something called the, the Visionary Quest Matrix, which shows you how to move out of what we call Expertville and into Visionary Town. And most people who are speaking in the breakout sessions are living in Expertville, but the meeting planners are booking for the keynote spots visionary speakers who can change the way the audience sees the world. In some ways, uh, an attendee in a, in a breakout session probably has lower expectations and is probably easier to impress that group because they went there thinking, wow, I thought this was just going to be another dry thing. I'd pick up another point or two. So it might actually be the best place to really try out some of that. Uh, it's, I do that. I still do that today. I, I'm, off, I'm booked by the day generally. If they want me to do a breakout session, I'll do a breakout session. And so I usually use that to don't tell anyone, but try new speeches. So I'll say, hey, I have a new speech I'm working on. It'd be perfect for your breakout session. And I deliver it. Let me just, I don't want to gloss over something because I know there are people out there that do lots of breakouts and they love doing breakout sessions and they're probably really good at it. There's just a simple mind shift you need to make when you're doing a breakout session with an eye to get to the keynote stage. And the key is that you need to understand the audience hierarchy of needs. When I do a breakout, it's not like I just do visionary C-level stuff. I I have practical takeaways and insights insight that the practitioner needs, but you need to make sure you hit every tier in every speech. There are four tiers. We don't have to get into them now, but basically you got to have something for everyone in your speech. Otherwise, some portion of your audience feels like they missed out. And that's very important when you're a breakout room. If you miss that bottom level tier because you think you're giving a visionary keynote, that's when you might get the feedback. It was great, really entertaining, very insightful. I don't know where to start. That means you didn't get to that level. That's right. And if you're delivering a keynote and you're primarily focused on the folks in the lower part of the triangle, the more practical how-to type uh, advice, then the people in the C-suite who are at the conference, the keynote session, they don't get what they need, and then you don't pick up the stage-side leads. Mm. Because what we have found is that the best stage-side leads come from people at the top end of the hierarchy of needs, from the C-suite and the executives they can put you in on other stages really quite quickly because they're decision makers. But the people right. at the lowest level of the hierarchy of needs, they may need practical how-to type uh, advice, but they have a harder time referring you to other venues uh, or you know, providing opportunities for you because they don't have that kind of social capital at this yeah. time. Yeah. 
Let's talk a little bit about performance. Obviously, Michael, you uh, are a, a trained actor. You teach people performance. Andrew, you you have a, a, a very physical presentation <laughs> style about you. And how does is there a do you need to does there need to be theater? Does there need to be entertainment, or is it just it needs to be you? How do you balance that? Sure. So it's important that I say that I don't think there is any one way to deliver yeah. a speech. There is no one style of speaking that is the appropriate or right style. The advice that sometimes people get about being themselves is either the best advice that they could get or the worst advice that they could get. Here's what I find. I find you can be yourself as a speaker when you have the craft to support it. When you have a speech Mm -hmm. that is well-conceived, well-written, when it's rehearsed, when you know what, what actions you're playing, what your staging is like, when all of those elements work, then you can be free to be yourself because you've crafted a performance that is transformational in service of the audience rather than just an information-laden experience or a, a, a lecture that does not right. feel experiential for them. Yeah. So there isn't one way to do it, but... If you want to move into that transformational space as a speaker, whether you want to get paid on the front end or pick up business on the back end, the element that is generally missing from most speeches is the entertainment factor. And what we're looking to do is we're looking to find a balance between the educational content and the theatrical elements so Mm -hmm. that where they overlap is where you get these really exciting transformational experiences for the audience. It's a, a big piece of that is the signature bit. Like that's what's yeah. shareable. And it tends to, the, the, the ones that resonate with me and I think resonate with a lot of other event producers and that, that they can repeat and share easily are delivered with that, that perfect balance of entertainment and information and insight so that it, you remember it because it was performed theatrically, but you, the, the message isn't lost in the theatricality of it. And you're like, man, that just illustrated what I wanted to, yeah. to learn from this. If I may, I think sometimes when people think about theatricality, they think about clowns and balloons. Right. But that's not what we're referring to when we refer Wait, that's, to that's theatrical. that's Andrew's signature bit. I know. What am I supposed to do now? <laughs> there isn't one way to do this. Clowns uh, and balloons can work really well. But the difference is this. Somebody who brings theatricality to the experience is, has a, puts a big focus on how the audience feels. Not just what the speaker is sharing. Yeah. If the speaker focuses on, here's the information that I need to share, they can absolutely be helpful. But if they want to change the lives of the people in the room in in a substantial way, whether it's related to the work they do or something else, they're, they're going to be much more effective if they can focus on how they want the audience to feel. Because if you want to change the way somebody thinks, first we need to affect how they feel. And so feeling is such an important part of the experience for an audience. What we see is most speakers who are not delivering transformational speeches, meaning referable speeches, they're delivering good, solid, information-laden speeches. They're not picking up stateside leads in part because 
they're not changing how the audience feels about the subject matter. They're just sharing right. information. And we know, because we're not spring chickens anymore, that until we change how we feel about something, we're not going to change how we think about it. We're probably not going to do anything different either. Yeah. Yeah, Andrew just got insulted there by your spring chicken. Because uh, <laughs> no. he, he still considers himself. He's definitely, the, today. he's definitely the baby in the group. John, is, you're the senior statesman. I, I am, so. I am. All right, oh. we could go on uh, and, and do a signature bit like this for uh, the, the rest of the show. I want to give both of you a chance. Obviously, I want to tell you uh, how people can... Learn more about your work, individual work, but uh, certainly the book itself. But I want to throw the topic out there of um, you, Michael, you said there's not one way, but I think you probably both agree there is a, a better way. And that better way involves make probably involves making bigger choices in your speeches. That, and I wonder 100%. If, if you do that. That, there's nothing else to say. I, I think Michael has drilled into me through, through the years that we've known each other. Michael's taught me a lot about the performance aspect. I, I feel like I understand the business very well, but his encouragement to even make bigger and bigger choices, even when I think I'm already making big choices, has always led to a better performance, a better delivery, and a better outcome for the audience. And so it's, yeah, big choices equal big business for me. Yeah, the stage is not a place for pedestrian activities. That's not why people go and gather in a group to watch one person on stage have an hour's worth of time. Right. It's not why we would you know, watch a webinar or, or a live stream for a day to see pedestrian activities. What we're looking for is a representation of the largeness of life. Now, that might seem a little esoteric, but... What we're trying to do is represent what is big to the audience, what is important to the audience, what is transformational to the audience. So the bigger your choices, the more impactful you can be because you're more intentional. If the audience doesn't know how you feel about every single thing you're saying and how you want them to feel about every single thing you're saying, then you have a soft presentation and soft presentations generally don't change audiences. So the bigger your choices, the better. So choose early and choose often. It's one of the the tenets of performance. And and until you start getting comfortable with the discomfort of making bigger choices, you'll feel a little constrained in your work. Where you start to feel a lot of freedom is when you feel like you can make big choices because you can always pull those back. But if you don't make the choices big in the first place, you generally haven't gone far enough. Yeah, and I suspect uh, the bigger the stage, even the bigger the choices. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not like you got that little TV camera catching every one of your expressions. That's You've right. Really, you really got to throw those out there, don't you, Andrew? Michael, this was a treat. I wasn't sure I was getting both of you today. The, my listeners will definitely, definitely enjoy getting to know you, getting to know more about uh, the referable speakers. So, you want to tell people where they can find out more about you individually, or however you want to share. I, look, the best place to do it is the referablespeaker.com or look it up on Amazon. There's a webinar, a full hour long webinar that Michael and I spent a, a few weeks putting together that's really fun to watch. That's free. It's on the referablespeaker.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. So there's a comment form there. It goes directly to Michael and I. If you've read the book or have a question about the book, we want to hear the questions because we're already working on the second version of the book with all the insight and, and questions we've got. So the referablespeaker.com is, is the place to go. Awesome. Michael, any final words from you? Uh, no, that's it. Just you know, okay. keep thinking awesome. big. 
All right. Take care. It was great for you to stop by Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I do have a trip planned to New York, Michael. Oh, Maybe great. we can uh, meet up in, in, in person. Maybe it would coincide when, when we have an event here and we can get you on our stage. Oh, that would, that would be fun. You can, you can use me as uh, some examples of what not to do. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> that is definitely right. not take, true. T- take care. All right. Thanks. Bye. All right, that wraps up another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to share this show. Feel free to give us reviews. You know, we love those things. Also, did you know that we had created training, marketing training for your team? If you've got employees, if you've got a staff member that wants to learn a marketing system, how to install that marketing system in your business, Check it out. It's called the Certified Marketing Manager Program from Duct Tape Marketing. You can find it at ducttapemarketing.com and just scroll down a little and find that tab that says training for your team.